Welcome to The Mushroom Show, the one place where you need to be if you want to stay on top of all the cool things happening in the world of mushrooms. My name is Tony Shields, this is episode 25, and in this episode, we're going to be asking the question, what are some of the possible paths forward for psilocybin mushrooms. Trying to look at everything that's happening right now, which is a ton, and trying to hypothesize when they will be legalized or if they will be legalized and what that will actually look like. We're also gonna be following up on some breaking new info about the deadly mushroom poisoning incident that happened in Australia over the summer, some really interesting developments in that case, and this is no doubt gonna be one of the most interesting and historic cases of mushroom poisoning ever. So if you like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, please go ahead and hit that like button. It really helps the channel grow. And if you wanna see future episodes of the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. Let's jump into the show. I had someone ask me last week in reference to psilocybin mushrooms, they said, what do you think the future is gonna look like for psilocybin mushrooms in three to five years? In other words, asking me what I think the future holds for psilocybin in terms of the legal status, the market, the public perception, the research, and the overall standing that it will have in our society. I wanted to jump to an answer because at first, glance it seems obvious. Psilocybin is taking a more and more prominent role in our society. The way things are going now you'd expect that in no time psilocybin will be legal and commonly used medicinally. You would expect more dispensaries, more established guidelines for medical professionals, and overall a more balanced public perception. But that might be a pretty naive viewpoint. Psilocybin is just one player in an increasingly chaotic world. It kind of makes me think of this thing called the double pendulum, which is a pretty simple system. It's just one pendulum that's sticking off the end of another pendulum. And you think you would be able to easily predict the motion based on where that pendulum starts, but the slightest change in those initial conditions can have a completely different outcome. In other words, it's almost impossible to predict the path that that pendulum might take as soon as you let go of it. So trying to predict how one of the most complex substances in terms of its effects and its cultural relevance is going to unfold as its power is unleashed on the world might not be that easy. Let's try and take some of these complex aspects apart one by one to see what it could look like. In some respects, it seems obvious to try to see what happened with cannabis, especially in Canada, and then interpolate that to assume that's what's going to happen with psilocybin mushrooms. Basically, in the early knots, there were cannabis dispensaries popping up everywhere. They weren't legal, but it didn't seem to matter. Vancouver, Canada was really the epicenter of this. At first, the city did try to shut it down by relentlessly raiding all of the dispensaries. But the city eventually capitulated, recognizing that it costs way too much money to try and shut them down, some estimating around $100,000 per raid, because they would just pop up again the next day anyways. And believe it or not, in 2019, the city of Vancouver actually voted to not spend resources on shutting down these dispensaries, which essentially made it seem like psilocybin mushroom dispensaries had an unwritten license to operate in the city of Vancouver. Now, this would make you think that in three to five years from now, there would be a lot more of these dispensaries, not only in Vancouver, but perhaps in other cities in Canada and the US and maybe some of the more lenient jurisdictions worldwide. But just last week, the longest running mushroom dispensary in Vancouver, aptly named just the Medicinal Mushroom Dispensary, run by longtime cannabis advocate Dana Larson, was actually raided by the Vancouver Police Department. Very disappointed in the Vancouver Police having taken this step. I hope the people of Vancouver let our politicians and police know they do not support these kind of raids now or in the future. This was all telegraphed by Dana as it was happening on Twitter. He said police were raiding all three 
of his mushroom dispensaries. Of course, that was until he was taken to jail, but eventually he was released, where he later tweeted, I spent seven plus hours in a jail cell today. Came back to see our shops all trashed and largely emptied. We will be reopening as soon as we can. This is not the end of anything for us. VPD likely spent over $100,000 today on this pointless, futile, politically motivated raid. Now again, the thing that might seem crazy to people who are unfamiliar with how these raids typically work is that Dana mentioned they're going to be open again as soon as possible, perhaps as early as in a few days, which does kind of show the futility of these raids. The Vancouver Police Department did state that they do have a mandate to enforce the drug laws, which is why they conducted the raid. An obvious statement, perhaps, the law is still pretty clear, but it does change the landscape and makes one think that maybe the path to multiple dispensaries or the proliferation of dispensaries for psilocybin mushrooms is not so clear. If they are getting raided in Vancouver in 2023, a city famous for its progressive policies and lackadaisical enforcement, they don't really stand a chance elsewhere. The bottom line is these things can change fast, and even though just a couple of weeks ago it seemed like dispensaries were going to be a thing, it doesn't seem that clear anymore. But if I was forced to guess, I would say that this is going to follow a pretty similar path to cannabis. In other words, they're just going to keep opening these dispensaries up regardless of the raids, and eventually they will continue to proliferate where they are no longer illegal. It's kind of like trying to hold a beach ball underwater or something. Eventually, it will come up. Another thing that you might think about when pontificating the future of psilocybin in three to five years is a potential rescheduling. Currently in the US, psilocybin is classified as a schedule one drug, which is defined as having one, a high potential for abuse, two, no currently accepted medical use, and three, a lack of accepted safety for use under medical supervision. I think we know now that it's kind of absurd to think psilocybin still fits this description with all the research that's coming out with our much better understanding of psilocybin and how it can be used to benefit lots of people classifying it as a schedule one drug seems kind of absurd so it would seem like the most obvious thing in the world to reschedule it but as of today that still hasn't been done and it still appears that any type of rescheduling is a herculean task for example dr sunil agarwal who is a palliative care physician and the co-founder of the advanced integrative medical science institute in seattle washington wanted to get approval for psilocybin under the right to try laws for his terminally ill cancer patients. So he applied to the DEA to do this and they outright rejected his request, citing the absence of accepted medical use for psilocybin. Now clearly it seems like they haven't been paying attention because that does seem like a pretty uninformed statement. And the higher courts actually seem to agree that the DEA needs to do more homework because after Agarwal sued the DEA and filed a formal rescheduling petition, the US Court of Appeals overruled the DEA's denial and criticized the DEA for not defining currently accepted medical use. It's worth noting that this of course doesn't mean the legal status of psilocybin is now changed in the US, but it does mean that the DEA needs to reevaluate or clarify its decision-making process for wanting to keep it schedule one. Again, a very difficult thing to justify based on our current understanding of this compound. But here's what I think the crazy part is and what really puts this whole thing into perspective. This years-long battle is only to move psilocybin from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2, which is still wildly restrictive. Under Schedule 2, psilocybin would still be considered something that has a high potential for abuse while having some accepted medical use with severe restrictions and apparently still considered as potentially leading to psychological or physical dependence. Although this would seem like a positive step for proponents of psilocybin, if this is what it takes for such a minor change in the laws, imagine how difficult it would be to have a real legal framework for anything
anything outside of strict medical use, like a recreational market, for example. This is all to say that a full-blown legalization of psilocybin is probably a lot further away than the current public perception might indicate. On that note, however, you might think that the public perception for psilocybin is continuously swaying in a positive direction. From there, you might assume that if this continues in three to five years, the widely held public opinion would be something along the lines of psilocybin is less demonized, and many people believe that it could have positive impacts on people's health or people's lives if used properly. But public perception is a very fickle thing, and it might only take one or two incidents that gets lots of negative press that could totally derail all the progress made over the last 20 years. Just look at the recent case of the pilot that allegedly tried to shut down an engine on an Alaskan Airlines flight. From what I can tell, the pilot was experiencing some form of psychosis. Apparently he hadn't slept in over 40 hours, which led to the incident on the plane. He had also admitted to having consumed psilocybin mushrooms days earlier. Now, it is possible that mushrooms did contribute to this incident. Although the acute effects of psilocybin will only last like four to six hours, in some susceptible people, psilocybin or any kind of psychoactive really could induce something like a psychotic break. So it's very possible that that's what happened here. But headlines across the world said something along the lines of pilot who did mushrooms tried to shut down engines. The pilot, who had been battling depression for months, said he was suffering from a mental crisis during the incident and is now facing 83 counts of attempted murder. So were the mushrooms really the culprit in this incident? Well, maybe, but when it comes to public perception, it doesn't really matter. And I'm not trying to trivialize it. This was obviously a very serious incident which could have had some pretty dramatic consequences. But nonetheless, this could be a serious setback for psilocybin. After this incident, I also saw a number of articles that were trying to better understand how much mushrooms actually work and what they really do to the brain. Even though there were underlying psychological issues here, the mushrooms took the brunt of the blame. All this is to say that, of course, mushrooms are getting a lot more positive coverage these days, but this is a two-way street. I like to think of it much like they say it takes something like five compliments to make up for one insult or something along those lines. The same can probably be said about the negative press on psilocybin and its outsized impact. Now, if you did believe that in three to five years from now, psilocybin would be legalized, you might imagine something where you can just go buy whole dried Psilocybe cubensis mushrooms, or you might be able to grow them in the comfort of your own home. But that viewpoint seems to disregard the fact that there may be very strong incentives to not let that happen. For example, a lot of research is done with synthetic psilocybin, something that fits the pharmaceutical model much better than dried mushrooms. Not only that, but the more research that comes out showing that psilocybin is good for things like treatment-resistant depression, PTSD, end-of-life anxiety, addictions, and so forth, could make it seem like it's only good for those things and has no place for less defined uses like introspection or self-reflection and something fun to do with your friends on a camping trip. So perhaps it isn't psilocybin that's legalized, but it's some close analog or some sort of synthetic derivative that has similar properties but can be patented and only used for very strict medical use cases. There are plenty of publicly traded companies already that have raised vast amounts of money for this exact purpose. Honestly, this could be perceived as a positive step for psilocybin, if it's something that can make the world healthier, make people happier, then that's probably a good thing. But it does kind of risk over-medicalization or perhaps a commandeering of psilocybin by industry. Again, how this shakes out is impossible to know, we can only guess. The legalization of cannabis in Canada followed a similar path, where it seemed like maybe THC would be synthesized and only prescribed for specific conditions. But eventually that whole system broke down and turned into a fully legal recreational 
national market where people over the age of 18 can buy whole flour. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen with psilocybin. Still though, psilocybin and cannabis are vastly different. So neither would I be surprised if it took the complete opposite path where growing mushrooms or selling whole mushrooms remains illegal and synthetic derivatives are widely used. Again, the incentives are huge. Just one potential use case, antidepressants, is a multi-billion dollar market and there are companies trying to manipulate psilocybin to get the same benefits without the trip. Of course, no one can predict the future there's just way too many potential outcomes, but it is fun to think about and I'd love to know what you think, so please let me know down in the comments. The future of psilocybin might be up for discussion, but when it comes to functional mushrooms, it's a lot more clear. People all over the world are upgrading their daily routine with powerful mushrooms like chaga, turkey tail, cordyceps, reishi, and lion's mane. Which is why Freshcap has pure and powerful functional mushroom extracts in both powder and capsule form. These are made from organic, whole fruiting body mushrooms and thoroughly extracted so you can experience the benefits of nature's most powerful superfood. If you want to give it a try, search for Freshcap on Amazon or head over to freshcap.com where you can use code THEMUSHROOMSHOW to get 10% off your first order. Let's get back to the show. You might remember over the summer there was an absolutely explosive story which will probably go down in history as the most famous mushroom poisoning incident of all time. It involved a beef wellington, killed three, and left another with severe liver damage. In case you missed it, here's a quick run. Erin Patterson, a 48-year-old woman from Leongatha, Australia, invited four people over for dinner. Her in-laws, Don and Gail Patterson, both 70, a local pastor, Ian Wilkinson, 69, and his wife, Heather Wilkinson, who was 66. She served a beef wellington, of which one of the ingredients was mushrooms, and after the meal, the guests became severely ill, and eventually it resulted in the death of three out of the four guests. At the time, it was suspected that the mushroom used in the meal was was the famous death cat mushroom, also known as Amanita phylloides, also known as the deadliest mushroom on the face of the planet. There was a lot of speculation at the time as to whether or not this was done on purpose, and we did cover that on the Mushroom Show a while back if you want to go check that out. Well, after a months long investigation, Aaron has now been formally charged with three counts of murder and five counts of attempted murder, which included not only the recent Beef Wellington incident, but also two other poisoning attempts in 20 2020 and 2021, which suggests that the authorities have pretty good reason to believe this was done on purpose. Again, this would be by far the most famous case of mushroom poisoning ever in history. I can't think of another single one that got this much attention. And although I love when people are talking about mushrooms, especially when they make the mainstream news, it's not always positive because in this case, it seemed to have caused a lot of mycophobia. And that's something I always try to fight back against. In fact, with the show, I'm trying to do the opposite, right? We're trying to cause a lot of mycophilia. We want people to love mushrooms. Even though some mushrooms, sure, if you eat enough of them, they could kill you, that's no reason to fear mushrooms in general. You just gotta have a healthy respect for the wild ones. Amanita phylloides in particular is is the one to respect. It kills you slowly but thoroughly, shutting down your liver and resulting in a painful death. Now, in a statement back in the summer, Erin claimed that for the meal, she had used mushrooms that she bought at the grocery store. And according to one source, this caused mushroom sales to drop a staggering 10% countrywide in Australia and had mushroom producers in damage control mode. But if you understand mushrooms, you would realize that there's basically no way you could ever accidentally buy death cap mushrooms at the grocery store. 
One of the reasons is that death cap mushrooms are what are known as mycorrhizal mushrooms, which means they grow in coordination with other plants, with other trees. They can really only be grown in the wild and they can't be cultivated. So it's just not gonna happen where they're gonna randomly show up at some mushroom farm. Even if by some crazy coincidence, they did end up at some sort of mushroom growing operation, well, they're gonna be instantly recognized and they wouldn't be harvested and make their way in with the rest of the mushrooms. That would be like banana farmers accidentally picking an orange and mixing it in with the bananas. Just not gonna happen. Now, other than the fact that Aaron Patterson has been formally charged with murder, there's not too many other details about the case, but I'm sure this is something that is going to be continuously unfolding. Again, it was a completely explosive story and probably the most famous mushroom poisoning story of all time. And I have no doubt that there's gonna be a Netflix series about it at some point. I just hope they don't lay too much blame on the mushrooms. Because you'd really have to go out of your way to either eat these mushrooms or serve them to other people especially if you follow the golden rule of mushroom hunting, which is basically when in doubt, throw it out. There's no mushroom that's delicious enough to lose your liver or potentially die from. And that's it for this episode of The Mushroom Show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for watching. Again, if you like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, please go ahead and hit that like button. It really helps the channel grow. And if you wanna see future episodes of the show, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. We appreciate it so much. We'll see you in the next one.